Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. I think, inshallah, we'll, we'll, we'll make a start. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Assalamualaikum brothers and sisters, welcome to today's Friday. Jazakallah um, for attending. Uh, today we have brother Mazhar Khan, who will be talking about the illusions of freedom. Inshallah, yeah. today we, we live today in a world order that professes to free the world Yet it shackles people to a system which leads to division and despair, as we are witnesses to this uh, around us. Uh, hopefully, Brother Muzzle can today uh, hopefully show us how this idea of freedom permeates all our lives and its uh, dire consequences. So, inshallah, without further ado. Jazakallah khair. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala Rasulihi al-Karim. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu amma ba'd. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So today we are going to address freedom predominantly. And the question posed or the the the, the point we're going to look at is is the west better than Islam because they are free? Now, you may be wondering why we're we talking about this. Well, there's a very good reason why we're talking about this. And it's because if you recalled a few days ago, maybe a week or so ago, uh, Macron, the leader of France, he said that Islam is in a crisis all around the world. And they have this very uh, deeply ingrained superiority complex that their way of life, the way they see the world, the way they live their life is the yardstick, is the correct way, and is the right way for humanity to live. So every other culture or civilization which they feel is a challenge or a threat or in opposition to them, they look down upon it. And so it wasn't surprising for Macron and many other leaders in the West to make this claim or to make this assertion that the West is better than everyone else, especially the Muslims, because we believe in freedom. We are the free world. And you'll hear this in the political context as well, that the Western world is the free world, meaning that the non-Western world is not free, therefore in need of liberation. So you could even argue that they still have this colonial mentality or this colonial viewpoint that the rest of the world needs liberating and saving and we are the ones to do that. So one of the reasons they may have this kind of a mindset is because they believe that the West is free and we are more freer than everybody else, therefore we are better. So for example, it's not unusual to hear people say that you as a Muslim can live in the West and you can practice your religion. Right? Nobody stops you from that. And somebody else who is a non-Muslim, they can practice their way of life. They can go to the nightclub, they can drink a beer, they can do whatever they want to do, they can do their life, you can do your life, the West is more accommodating, 
everybody can live as they want, we are better. Because if a non-Muslim lives in a Muslim country, in an Islamic state, they are not allowed to live their life according to the way they want to live their life. So they can't go to the nightclub. They can't drink their beer. They can't promote their values, etc., etc., etc. And therefore, they conclude that their way of life is better than Islam. So the question is this. Is that true? Is that the case? Is the West more free than Islam and therefore better than us? Or is it the case that we also believe in freedom? Islam also believes in freedom. Or do we not believe in freedom? So let's have a look at this today, inshallah. And I'm going to touch on some of the points briefly, inshallah, to give you uh, 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 some, illuminate this, this point and give you some kind of an understanding, inshallah. So the first question is, when they say we believe in freedom, freedom doesn't mean freedom. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, maybe you might have heard of the Dr. Richard Dawkins or Professor, whatever he calls himself, the famous uh, hardcore extreme atheist who never gives up an opportunity to attack Islam in particular and religion in general. And he says that everything came from nothing. But when he says nothing, he doesn't mean nothing. So when the West talk about freedom, they don't mean freedom. And let me explain uh, 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 what, what, we, what I mean by that. So freedom is an absolute term. Either it exists or it doesn't exist. And you can't have it any other way. And is this a gross simplification? Am I simplifying things here and, and, and pulling it out of context? I don't believe so. And I'm going to explain why no society in the world is free. Freedom doesn't exist. There is no such thing as freedom. And everybody is a slave. And that's what I'm going to try and explain. So when we talk about freedom, um, Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company, when he invented the car, not invented, when he made the first mass-produced car, the Model T Ford, right? It was the first mass-produced car. It was the same model, same color, same everything, churned out in their millions out of their factory. And in a meeting once, when the salespeople were trying to tell him to modify it, to change it, to do this, to do that, he came out with a statement which went down in history. He said, you can have this car in any color as long as it is black. And that is a nice way to explain freedom because what freedom actually tells you is you are free as long as you obey the law. Right? So that's the inherent contradiction that if you're free, then nobody can tell you what your freedom is. You should be able to determine for yourself how you want to live your life. So in the same way, Henry Ford said, you can have this car in any color you like, as long as it's black, is exactly the same as freedom. You are free as long as you obey the law. So let me try and explain that in a little bit more detail. What do I mean by that? I mean, like I already said, is that a gross simplification of, of what freedom is? No, it's not. Because if you look at any society, if you look at the society we live in, are people free to live their life as they want, as they claim? And you find, after very simple scrutiny, that that is not the case. So, for example, 
No community in Britain is allowed to organize their own financial matters or their business matters according to their own principles, devoid of the state. So if organize business practices according to how you deem fit, right, it will be subject to the law. And if it doesn't agree with that, you will not be able to do that. For example, you can't set up a Islamic bank, again, bank being an oxymoron, you can't set up an Islamic financial institution outside of the control of the financial regulatory body. So you can't even set up a bank if you wanted to set up a bank. So there are certain financial practices, there are certain commercial practices you cannot do based on your values or your beliefs if it is not sanctioned by the state. So you are not free to do that. For example, when it comes to the matter of taxation, and this might sound a bit ridiculous, but this is because when you when people think about freedom, they only think about the individual freedom. They don't look at it, they don't look at life as a whole. So for example, in Britain, in France, in America, can any community, whether they're a religious community or an ethnic community or whatever kind of community, or however they define themselves, can they define their own taxation? So for example, Muslims in Britain, can we say, you know what? We're not going to pay income tax. We're not going to pay VAT. We're not going to pay inheritance tax. We're going to pay zakat. We're going to pay jizya. We're going to pay kharaj and ushar and all these other Islamic taxations. Right? Can we do that and not pay income tax, VAT, inheritance tax, community tax, council tax, and all the other, other taxes that exist? No, we can't. No, you cannot. And if you don't pay your taxes, you go to prison. So there's a very strong sanction stopping you from organizing your taxes according to the way you want to organize your taxes. You can't organize business practices according to the way you want unless it is sanctioned by the state. Um, if you look at, for example, um, we could talk about all various other aspects, but one aspect which is really hit home to a lot of people in Britain is about education. It seems like a very non-controversial aspect of life, educating your children. Can you teach your children values that you want to teach them? No, you can't. Because if it doesn't fit with the uh, curriculum defined by the uh, Department of Education, you cannot teach them that. Schools are monitored. Schools are regulated. Schools are watched. And schools are... Uh, uh, um, um, what's the word, um, uh, investigated to make sure that they are teaching according to the curriculum. And if they are not, and they are found to be failing in that, there are sanctions that can, can be applied to that school. And we know the famous incident where there was this fake scandal of the Trojan horse in Birmingham, and many schools were closed down, many teachers lost their jobs, and the schools were taken out of the control of the existing bodies and given to another, another other bodies to look after. Right now, your children, when they go to school, they will be forced to learn LGBT propaganda. You have no say in the matter. Parents have no longer the right to take their kids out of the school. So here again is an example that we are all very familiar with, very uh, 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 live issue, that even when it comes to education, you have no freedom, no choice to determine what you want your children to learn or to 
stop your children from learning values that you deem are not uh, uh, good values for them to learn. So commerce, economics, and education, no community, whether religious or ethnic or whatever, have the right to determine their education, their commerce, their finance, outside of what the state tells you to say. So there is zero flexibility or freedom on these matters. Now, people might say, oh, but these are societal and political matters. Freedom is freedom. If you're allowed to live your life, you should be able to live your life. Why is it that the government has to decide all aspects of your life if it's a free, if that government believes in freedom and people should be able to live how they want? So people will argue, oh, yeah, but banking, education, these are all societal, political matters. Of course, the government's going to look after them. But like I say, no, if it's freedom, then people should be able to determine their own uh, affairs. But even in the area of personal freedom, where you are ordinarily told that you can wear what you like, do what you like, and do with whomever you like what you like, you are free to do as you like. Even here, you find that people are not completely free. So, for example, um, in the area of so-called uh, 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 personal freedom, in France, a woman is not allowed to wear the niqab. If a woman wears the niqab in France, she is fined, right? Uh, you might have seen in the newspapers, uh, going back to the education issue, that they said even if you teach them about anti-capitalism, this needs to be stopped in the schools. So the politicians are discussing in parliament that any material which is deemed to be anti-capitalist cannot be used by schools to teach these things. So coming back to the issue of personal freedom. In France, a woman is not, if, if she wears a niqab, she can be punished. So what's happened to her personal freedom to dress how she wants? If a woman can wear a bikini, why is that freedom not extended to a woman who wants to wear the niqab? So this is a direct and a blatant contradiction of even something very, uh, very uh, important or uh, 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 important to, to people who believe in freedom, personal freedom, that people should be able to do what they want. They're not. Clearly, they are not able to do that. And we find that recently... Uh, because of various rules and, 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 and regulations which have been brought in, even the, the uh, speech has been curtailed by terror legislation and all sorts of laws and regulations which have been passed. People are not allowed to say and do certain things. So there's now laws against hate speech. So if you criticize the politics of the Zionist states in Palestine, that's deemed as hate speech. You can't say that. If you talk about the oppression uh, in, 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 in Palestine, by the occupiers, it's deemed hate speech. You're not allowed to say that. If you talk about Muslims having the right to establish their own political destiny, to establish their own political state, have their own uh, 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 state based on the Islamic values, that is deemed as uh, extreme speech and is not allowed. And you find that now Muslims have it very difficult to organize conferences and talks around the country to talk about what they want to do. We're not talking about violence. We're not talking about harming other peoples. We're talking about political matters. But this is now banned. In practice, in practice, it is banned. So even the cherished values of individual freedom and the freedom of speech is curtailed and restricted to a large extent. If you parrot what they want you to say, you can say that. 
But if you want to say what you want to say and they don't like it, it is banned. So how is that any different to what Henry Ford said, that you can have my car in any color you like as long as it's black? How is that any different to say you are free as long as you obey our laws? It's the same thing. It's an oxymoron. It makes no sense. It's a contradiction. And again, it is not a gross simplification to say freedom does not exist. It doesn't exist. So, for example, even according to capitalist values, liberal values in the matter of commerce, if one company wants to buy another company, in theory, you have freedom of ownership. Anyone is able to buy and sell whatever they want to buy and sell. But recently, you would have heard that Sainsbury's wanted to buy Asda and Merge. But this wasn't allowed because the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, deemed this anti-competitive. And they said Sainsbury's is not allowed to buy Asda. So that's why two uh, Asian men in Blackman bought Asda, because Sainsbury wasn't allowed to buy Asda. So where's your freedom of ownership? Where's your freedom of ownership, buying and selling gone here? Why wasn't Sainsbury allowed to buy if they wanted to buy them? So if freedom is freedom, surely they should have been allowed, but they weren't. So you've got a body called the CMA, which regulates acquisitions and monopolies. So that's a contradiction of their values. If you look at the freedom of speech, I've already spoke about this, so I'm not going to mention it again, but that is restricted by law. <laughs> And if you look at individual freedom, that is restricted. So I'll give you examples of particular types of dress, which are banned in France and in other places. But here in Britain, for example, they say relationships between consenting adults are legal. That's clearly not the case. Because if one man and two women are all consenting to enter into a marriage, and a polygamous marriage, according to freedom, that should be allowed, but it's illegal. If you do that, you will be punished, even though you're not harming anybody. It's two consenting adults. If you enter into a polygamous marriage, you will be uh, held accountable for that. And it is deemed illegal and it is not allowed. So here I've given you very, uh, 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 given you some simple examples to contradict some of the principles that they hold or hold very dear to demonstrate that freedom does not exist in these so-called free countries. Now, um, every society right, is restricted by law. So no society is free. There is no country in the world where you can go and do as you like. Every country is restricted by law. So nobody is free. And I'm going to come to this point a little bit later on. So all these things that I've talked about, uh, taxes, your business practices, your, your education matters. Nobody can define this outside of the states and the state determines it for you. And therefore, uh, you do not have the right to organize your own life, whether it's economic, social, political, or what have you. So the thing these values is that they are false. Yep. Freedom is false. And any value or belief which is false will have inherent contradictions. It will inherently unravel itself over time for people to see that this is false. And this is not something new. This is the, this is the way 
all falsehoods unravel or are exposed. So as Muslims, we know very uh, well about the Quraysh, uh, pre-Islamic Quraysh uh, in Mecca. They believed in tribal tribalism and their society was based on tribalism and they held to that value. So much so that you supported your tribe, even if they did wrong, even if they were in the wrong, you had to defend them. So if some Quraysh went somewhere and killed somebody illegitimately, unfairly, unjustly, the Quraysh would defend him and fight on his behalf and defend him. And they had a saying, your brother right or wrong, you defend. Yeah? Whether he's in the right or he's in the wrong, he's, he's, he's your tribe, you defend. But you find that when Islam came, the best of the people of the Quraysh, the best clan of the Quraysh, the best person of the Quraysh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was fought against, he was thrown out, he was boycotted, and his believers and his followers were beaten, tortured, boycotted. So now this value that they held and cherished suddenly un unraveled. So they didn't believe, not that they didn't believe in it, they contradicted it. They contradicted it. Now, in the West, you see the same happening. They try to implement the ideas of freedom. They try to implement the ideas of freedom. So not only do we have a chaotic society that we see, I don't have to talk to you about that. You, you're, we all live in the West. We see it. We see the breakdown of society, breakdown of social order, breakdown of family. We see the crime. We see uh, you know, all those normal social ills that we're familiar with. But it's not just that. We're talking at the freedom has affected society at a systemic level. At a systemic level, it is failing. So, for example, in this COVID lockdown, you must have seen in the press recently talking about how the billionaires of the world have massively increased their profit. So you've got the owner of Amazon and you've got the owners of Oracle and you've got the owners of, of these big corporate uh, entities who are making billions and they are making a, 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 a huge profit. Whereas the small businesses and the people further down the food chain, food chain are suffering and have lost and uh, uh, have lost their jobs, have lost their income. And there is a gross inequality of wealth. So you've got billionaires in the world with so much money that they cannot practically spend it all. That's how much money they've got. And then you've got people in the world who don't have enough money to feed themselves, to feed themselves. That's gross inequality. We've got people being made homeless, people living in the streets. We've got more people living in the streets today in the West when they've got so much wealth. And this is because of freedom. So freedom has caused an exploitation in their own society, so much so that people are now beginning to think that something is wrong with the way we have organized our society. Something is wrong with the economics and something needs to be done. So this is the unraveling of freedom now because it is causing themselves, is causing problems for their own societies. And they found that if you practice free values, they don't work. So now they're bailing out. They're bailing out banks. They're bailing out companies. They're, bail they're giving free money out to people to keep people alive. But this goes completely in the face of their liberal capitalist free market economics. It's complete contradiction of that. But yet they have had to do this. 
They have had to contradict their principles. They've had to contradict their ideologies. They've had to contradict those values that they cherish because they are failing. So when Macron says that Islam is in crisis, no, my friend, Islam is not in crisis. Freedom is in crisis. Capitalism is in crisis. Democracy in crisis. It's failing so much that people now don't really care about equality and freedom and this and that. They are happy to vote for racists like Trump. They're happy to vote, vote for xenophobes like Trump and, and like Boris Johnson in Britain and to vote for extreme parties in the Western world. So people are going to the extreme politics because the mainstream culture has failed. Freedom has failed. Democracy has failed. Capitalism has failed. Their ideology has failed. And it is they who are in a crisis, not we. Because there is nowhere on earth where Islam is implemented and ruled by that you could point a finger there and say it's failing. What's failing in the world is these despotic uh, mutant states which were created by the West. So what is failing is your creation, your children, your illegitimate states that you created around the Middle East. That's what's failing. Islam is not failing. Your civilization is failing. So coming back to, to, to this point that everyone is a slave. There's no thing as freedom. Everyone is a slave. So the real question is this. Whose slave do you want to be? Do you want to be the slave of the one who created you? The way of life you follow, you are following something. Everybody follows something. Nobody is free, right? So on one level, yes, there's laws applied in a society. Everybody has to submit to those laws. So in that way, you are a slave. But even if there were no laws, you still need some way to live your life. So what are you going to follow? Are you going to follow what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed and become his slave and his follower and submit to him? Or are you going to follow something else? And you find that as a human being, you need guidance. You need to follow something. So some people say, no, but I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. Because anything you do is something that has been taught to you or something that you have copied. So if you went to an African village and people dressed in grass skirts and you said to those people, why are you wearing those grass skirts? Can't you wear something else? They'll say, well, this is how we want to dress. It's our choice. This is how we dress. This is how we want to dress. If you come to Britain and you ask a woman, why do you dress like that? She'll say, it's my freedom. This is how I want to dress. This is a good way to dress. I like dressing like this. I want to dress like this. But if you came to Britain a hundred years ago or 150 years ago, and the women dressed very differently then, and if you ask them, why do you dress like that? They will say, this is how we dress. This is dignified way to dress. This is how we want to dress. This is a civilized way to dress. And they will give you 101 reasons. But the thing is, that same woman, born 150 years later, is going to dress differently. That same woman, born 150 years previously, is going to dress differently. That same woman, born in a different country, in the middle of Africa, is going to dress differently. And if you ask them, why are you dressed like that? They say, because I want to. No. In each case, they are dressing according to the way of the people that they see. They are following. So either in when it comes to mundane things like clothing, 
you have to follow. You have to follow something or someone. So the choice is very clear. Everyone is a follower. Everyone is a slave. Either you are slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or you are slave to another man, to another culture, or to another ideology or to whatever. But you will be a slave. So there is dignity in being the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there is no dignity and humiliation in being a slave to anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we find that we live in a world where this culture of so-called freedom is pervasive across the world, even in the Muslim world. And it's come to a point where it's, it's even for most lay people, they can recognize that society has moved very drastically in a direction that is no longer comfortable and no longer uh, compatible with, the, with human nature. So we as Muslims play a very crucial role in this now. So when they say we are more free than you and we are better than you, number one, who told you the yardstick is freedom? Who defined for you that the yardstick is freedom to measure societies by, right? It's like me saying we are better than you because we are more halal than you. We are better than you because we are more halal, right? I'm using the yardstick of halal and haram. You're using the yardstick of freedom. Who gave you the right to use that yardstick? Now, the yardstick we use is not our yardstick. This is a divine yardstick. This is the yardstick Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to us. That this is the way you measure of what is better and what is worse. Something is halal is good. Something is not halal is not good. So that is the yardstick we knew. And first of all, uh, right and wrong is the yardstick we use. And on that measure, Islam is far better than the West. And our job as Muslims is to expose that, to demonstrate that freedom that you build your societies upon is a flawed idea. It is a contradictory idea. It is an idea that cannot exist. Somebody has to determine the rules. Somebody has to set the limits. Somebody has to define what's right and wrong. Nobody free, right? So then the question arises, well, how do you determine what is right and wrong? And this comes to the discussion of Islamic Tawheed, Islamic Aqeedah, that only Allah is the one who is able to determine right and wrong. So we as Muslims, we need to carry this da'wah because this deen came for the whole of mankind. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was rahmatulil alameen, a mercy to the whole of mankind. Islam is not to be practiced just in the masjid for us. Islam came as a message to the whole of mankind. So the economic crisis, the COVID crisis, the, the societal crisis, the LGBT crisis, where people don't even know if they're a man or a woman. We've come to a point where we are discussing things which were taken for granted for millions of years. And now suddenly people don't even know if they're a man or a woman. I mean, this has gone like proper reverse. Even animals know that they're men, whether they're male or female. And now we're, we're discussing these things. So it is our job now to demonstrate what is right, to demonstrate what is wrong and draw the straight line of Islam against the crooked line of capitalism and the crooked line of freedom and the crooked line of liberalism and the crooked line of anything other than Islam to show that only Islam is the way for people to live by. And we as Muslims need 
to demonstrate this. And we as Muslims can only demonstrate if we can demonstrate that as an example. And this is the problem. We don't have an example to show the West. If they say it was okay, then Islamic society. And it's not given. Is to establish the Prophet as a beacon show this is supposed to live. And as you know, or you may know, there is a conference coming up at the end of this month that we need to establish the Khilafah. How do we do that? That's going to be spoken about in this conference to show that Islam is the alternative. Islam is the only alternative to the decadence of capitalism and the confusion of capitalism and the corruption of capitalism. Uh, inshallah, I'd like to open up the floor to any questions or comments or you might have. Um, if you'd like to write your comments or questions in the uh, chat section on the right-hand side. And inshallah, we'll uh, read it out uh, for the mother. Um, I think one of the brothers is asking, uh, I think we, we had a slight problem there with the sound cutting off near the end of your... Uh, just before you mentioned the conference, uh, mm -hmm. you just, just repeat that bit that you said just before you. Yeah, no, I was just saying that, you know, when we talk about Islam, the, the common question that's going to come up, where is this Islam? Where is this example that you can show us, which is a better way to live than the, the so-called, the, 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 the current uh, way world is organized, freedom, democracy and stuff. And the thing is, we can't show that to them because Islam doesn't exist. So Islam... To show Islam as an example, we need to establish an Islamic society, an Islamic Khilafah. And that becomes the example. And that becomes the da'wah for Islam. And every Muslim knows that the Prophet ﷺ struggled in Mecca for a number of years, 13 years. But when he established Islam in Medina in 10 years, in that 10 years, he was able to spread Islam all across Arabia. And all the Arabs entered into Islam. Because in Medina, Islam became a tangible reality. People could see People could touch, people could taste, people could feel what this Islam was. It wasn't just words, it was now a living example. So they could see the justice of Islam, they could see the economics of Islam, they could see the, uh, the security of Islam, they could see the peace of Islam in society. And so they said, yes, this is better than what we have. And so it became a beacon and an example for other people to see and follow and embrace Islam. So, and Allah confirms this in the Quran when He says, That after the victory comes, people will enter into Islam in multitudes. So, when Islam is victorious, 
when Islam is established, people can see it. And what I was saying is there is a conference coming up at the end of this month, which is going to address this issue of how Islam deals with modern problems and how Islam can solve the problems we've got with the finance, economics, with COVID and all of these things, and why this is a better way for society and humanity to live by. So we have a question. Um, why, why do we see so much hypocrisy in freedom? Does this mean the West don't actually believe in their own principles? Um, the thing is, look, anything other than Islam, anything which is a contradiction is going to have inherent flaws and contradictions. You, you can't get away from that. So it's not a case that they don't believe in it. They may want to believe in it. They may want to, you know, they may, they do cherish these values. They hold on to them. They're willing to go and bomb, bomb it into other countries. So they do believe in it. But the point is, you can't get away from the contradictions and the hypocrisy. They're always there. And our job as Muslims is to expose and demonstrate and deconstruct and demonstrate to them that what they believe in is flawed and it is false. And this is something that has been going on from, from all the prophets. All the prophets demonstrated the contradictions. So didn't the prophet وسلم, say to the Quraysh, why do you worship idols? They said, oh, we worship this idol for this reason and this reason and this reason. And they said, well, what about life and death? He goes, oh, one in the sky. He goes, well, if the one in the sky gives you life and death, why do you need to follow these idols? So he used to contradict them. Ibrahim السلام, when he went to Nimrud, and Nimrud said, I am God. So Ibrahim السلام, wanted to demonstrate and contradict that. This is, a, this is a false idea. It's flawed. It's wrong. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises the sun from the east and sets it in the west. So you raise it from the west and set it in the east. So he, he put a challenge to him, contradicted it. And you find this. The prophets of, of before and in the da'wah of the Prophet. So we need to take this challenge to the kuffar. We're not here to demonstrate Islam against Christianity and Judaism and Hinduism and Buddhism. No, why? Because all of those religions have expired. They've gone past their sell-by date. Islam has replaced all the religions. All those religions are invalid. And more so, none of those religions are used to regulate finance, economics politics, commerce, society, they are not even present in society. What is present in society is freedom and democracy, capitalism, liberalism, these Western ideas. So this is what the challenge for the Muslim is. The challenge for the Muslim is to take Islam to the society and demonstrate to them that the way society is organized is wrong. This is the correct way to organize it. And you find that all the prophets challenged the leaders of their societies and took, took their message to the society. They didn't take it to like, to, to the corner shop or to some individual family members. They took it, you read in the Quran, how many times does it say that the leaders did this and the leaders did that and the leaders disagreed and the leaders conspired. So all the messengers clashed with the leaders, with the authorities, with those societies, because the message was for the society as a whole. The message was not for individuals. And this is something we need to really understand as Muslims, that Islam is not here to convert individuals. Islam is here to convert whole societies. Islam is to convert the state. Islam has come to change society and implement it at a societal level. Jazakallah khair. Um, Inshallah, we have a comment from um, Brother Ridwan Abu Maryam. Uh, Salam, you say that freedom is freedom as long as it obeys the laws. I would go further. 
Freedom is freedom from God. Your reference point can be anything but your creator. That is the basis of secularism, which the West struggled and fought for in its history. You're absolutely right. That was actually a point in my notes. But as I was mentioning earlier, when it comes to giving online talks, it's difficult to follow the notes and control the presentation and everything. And I've said to the brothers, many times I've given a talk and I've missed bits out. And that was a very important point I wanted to actually make. Because when they actually talk about freedom, what they actually mean by freedom or where it originates from is not the fact that we want to do whatever we want to do. What they actually mean is we don't want to be told by a divine being what to do. We will do whatever we want to do. And hence Allah says in the Quran, Have you seen those people who have taken their desires as God? So they didn't want to follow Allah. They wanted to make their own desires God. We will follow our desires. So yes, when they talk about freedom, what they, say, what they mean is we will do whatever. Even they might want to restrict their lives. But we are not going to allow God to interfere in our life. And that is a very, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that point because that's something I wanted to mention. And uh, that is actually uh, the, the, the origin of freedom is not absolute freedom, but divorcing mankind from restrictions from a divine being. We don't want to be regulated by our God. We don't want to be regulated by religion. We will regulate ourselves. So they want to be slaves to, to other men. But obviously that's not a very uh, uh, appealing adver advertisement for their civilization, you know, be slave to other men. Inshallah, Brother Mazar, you, you talked about uh, the West and uh, Macron, um, with other obviously like Trump and uh, Boris Johnson, etc. Mm. Uh, these people uh, uh, claim to be the uh, representatives of the free world. Um, but yet we see that um, when they actually traverse the world, um, or in fact, if we look at history and we, we see how they traverse the world, they subjugated the world by uh, colonialism, first of all. Uh, then rape and then pillaging. Um, we saw them annihilate uh, um, entire um, uh, clans and entire uh, nations of people. Um, so how is it that they can claim that their way is better when the only way that they can actually um, propagate their way of life is uh, by destroying all other ways of life? Well, I think you've answered the question there. They can't. It's just pure propaganda. And as they say, the, the victor, victor writes the history. So they can spin history how they like. Um, and uh, one lie they like to spin is that the uh, era of colonialism wasn't as bad as people make out. It was quite benevolent and we actually civilized the world and uh, we helped them. Uh, and, and nothing could be further from the truth because large parts of the world didn't need civilizing. They were already civilized. They were in a better place than Europe was. Um, and they didn't need the, 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 the Europeans to come and save them. So the Muslim world was perfectly fine, but they came and destroyed it. So, I mean, it's, it's common knowledge now that something like 23% or almost a third of the world global trade was in India, which was regulated and ruled by the Muslims. After the British left, it was down into the single digits. And they looted the wealth and destroyed the economy and then left uh, the land as a destitute land where people were in poverty. Uh, and this is wherever colonialism has gone. The whole point of colonialism was for capitalism, which was to open up new lands for resources in order to manufacture goods to have new markets to sell to. So, and it's a, it's a blatant example in India where they went, they took the cotton from India, put them on ships, brought them to the UK. 
They made cloth in Lancashire and they shipped the same cloth back to India and sold it to them. So this is the nature of capitalism. And in, this, in the process, obviously, they killed millions, they slaughtered millions, oppressed millions, and looted their wealth. And, uh, but because they've written the history, uh, people are not really aware of the impact of colonialism on the world. And we're still, we're still suffering from it now because the, the, they may have physically left the, those countries, but they are still, you know, uh, influencing and controlling those countries through the um, uh, the uh, agencies and puppets that they left in, in, in those lands to, to influence and regulate them. Um, Brother Idris has a question. Uh, most of the time it is extremely difficult to convince individual non-Muslims of Islam. What advice can you give about this? Should we just patiently work for Khilafah and not spend too much time with uh, these non-Muslims? No, because you can't really separate the two. <laughs> because when you're going to work for Khilafah, you have to discuss and talk about the, 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 the correct, correctness of Islam. So that's part and parcel of the da'wah, talking to individuals, talking to people of influence, talking to anybody and everybody. Whether they accept or not, it's not in your hands, and it's never been in your hands. So we should not look at how many people have we converted, how many people have accepted the call. That's not in your hands. Your job is just to convey the message uh, and follow the methodology of the Prophet ﷺ to specifically target authority to establish Islam. Once Islam is established, then you will have the means available to propagate Islam and to invite masses to Islam and to correctly convey Islam to the rest of the world. Because at the moment, you know, most of the people that try who are called propagators of Islam are actually conveying a very individualistic, religious, ritualistic Islam. Something to save you from the Western world to become insular, to be able to cope. We're not here to cope. We're here to change the oppression. Islam didn't come to give you the methodology or the techniques to be able to live under oppression. Islam came to remove oppression. And this is a big problem that people want to confine in Islam to protect themselves from the horrors of the world. No, we come to change the horrors of the world. So we need to discuss that with people. If they accept, alhamdulillah. If they don't accept, it doesn't matter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, will, will inshallah support the call and eventually bring about a change in, in our affairs. So, yeah, our job is not to focus on converting people. Our job is to focus it's on es hours. establishing Islam. But by doing that, obviously, you're going to talk to people. And I think we've, we've said this many, many times before, that Rasulullah was in Mecca for 13 years, and less than 100 people migrated to Medina. Maybe there was about 100 people or less that had embraced Islam. Yeah, 13 years, and that's just, you've only managed to convert so few people. I mean, there's people and organizations today that have converted far more people to Islam than the Prophet ﷺ did in 13 years. Does that mean they were better than the Prophet? Of course not. Because it wasn't the Prophet ﷺ's mission to convert people to Islam. His mission was to establish Islam, which would convert people to Islam. So you've got to put the cart before, you've got to put the horse before the cart. You've got to put the horse before the cart. So establish the state. And the state becomes an example for Islam, and then you are propagating Islam. How can you propagate Islam when Islam doesn't exist? How can you propagate Islam when Islam doesn't exist? And this is what the Prophet did. 13 years he spent to establish Islam. He established Islam in Medina. Then in 10 years, if you look at the numbers of people that came to the final Hajj, 
we're looking at up to almost 100,000 people, tens of thousands of people that came to the final Hajj. So just as a statistical point, you've got less than 100 people embrace Islam in 13 years, and you've got tens of thousands of people in 10 years. What's the difference? It's the elephant in the room. It's the Islamic State, Islamic authority, the, what we call the Khilafah, Islamic government. So how are you going to explain and, sorry, how are you going to demonstrate and exemplify Islam if Islam doesn't exist? Inshallah, we have a, um, a comment from uh, Sister Umm Abdullah. Uh, the West is a society where even the word haram sounds too harsh to the ears of most Muslims. On the contrary, words like freedoms and choice sound comforting. Yeah, they do. But then if you explain the reality, you know, then you find out that something might sound nice, but it's horrible. And something might sound horrible, but it's nice. So it's in the explanation that you need to demonstrate this. And Allah says in Surah Baqarah, maybe there is something you dislike is good for you. Maybe something you like, which is bad for you. Allah knows you know not. So, yes, they use these fancy and, uh, and nice terms. Like, and th that is the, um, how can you put it? That, that maybe is a, is a symbolic of capitalism. It's symbolic of the Western way of life, where they make things look pretty, but actually they are ugly in reality, right? So when they give you this, oh, life of freedom, life of enjoyment, life of do what you like, you cannot separate that from family breakdowns by uh, spousal abuse, by substance abuse, by mental problems, by breakdown in society, by crime. You cannot separate that, right? It's not that people believe in freedom, that only success is if you've got material wealth, only success is if you're enjoying your freedom. What if somebody doesn't have that material success? What if somebody is not able to enjoy their freedom? They are going to look for other ways to achieve that. Why? Because if you don't achieve that, that is the measurement of success and you are a failure. So is it any surprise that those people who have no means to achieve wealth are going to use illegal means, sell drugs, crime, robbery, violence, in order to achieve what they want? So you can't separate the two. So when you demonstrate the consequences of these so-called pretty ideas, the practice is pretty ugly. And that's what we need to demonstrate and exemplify, that you need a just balance in society and only the creator is able to offer you a just balance. When we try and balance society based on our values or our thinking or our experience, you find that no society is going to be balanced. And in fact, it causes unintended consequences and problems. Brother Ridwan Abu Mariam has another question. Uh, why does the idea of freedom seem so appealing to the Muslim world? Is it because of the outright oppression in our land? Is it because freedom is presented falsely? Uh, for probably both of those reasons. Number one, when, when, when many Muslims talk about freedom, they actually don't mean the freedom that the West talk about. What they talk about is liberation. They want to be liberated. They want to be free from the oppression that exists in their governments. They want to be free from the oppression of the occupying forces in their lands whether it's the Zionists, whether it's the Americans, whether it's the British, whether it's the tyrannical, they want to be freed from that. So they're not saying we want to live a, a, a life like the West do, like we want to be free, we want to open up nightclubs, we want to get drunk, we want to take drugs, we want to 
have LGBT on our schools. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about we want to be free from oppression. So they may use the same word, but they mean something totally different from that. And there may be some Muslims, yes, I'm not saying there are not some Muslims or people in the Muslim world that want to live like these people because they look at Hollywood. They watch the movies. They see the propaganda. They read the magazines and read the books. And they see the West presented in a particular way. So when you think about America, you know, you think of California, you think of sunshine, you think of good-looking people, you think of people with nice cars, people living a good life. You go to Los Angeles, you find most of the people are down and out. Most people that have got good jobs in Los Angeles can't even afford houses. They live in trailer camps. They live in trailer homes because affordable housing is so far away from downtown LA. They can't even commute to their jobs. So somebody with a good, well-paid job in the silicon industry, in the IT industry, they can't even afford to live in LA. So when you go there, see New York, go to Queens, go to the Bronx, go to LA, go to downtown LA, you will see that the way America is presented in the cinema and in Hollywood is not the America that people live. Yeah, it's not the America that people live. And this is a problem when you go to Pakistan or India or Bangladesh and people think, oh, you come from England. They think that the, the streets are paved with gold. They don't realize that when you live here, every other person is going to call you a Paki. They don't realize that when you come over here, you might get your head kicked in. You don't realize that, you know, you're going to be discriminated against, that you are never, ever going to be treated like an equal. So there are many other problems, but that is not what is projected back to those countries. And so they have a very skewed perception of what the West is. Um, Brother Imran Khan has a question. He says, Salam, is there a difference between freedom and free will? Yeah, com completely different thing. Because free will is everybody has the ability to choose the right thing or the wrong thing. Everybody has the ability to choose this thing or that thing. You can make whatever decision you want. You have the agency of free will to determine your own choice, right? So you have that ability. Now, when you exercise that choice, you will either do the right thing or you will do the wrong thing. If you do the wrong thing, you will be held accountable for that. Now, if you believe in freedom, it means you don't care whether you do the right thing or the wrong thing because Whatever you do is always right. So that's the difference between the free will and freedom. Free will is everybody has free will to make the choice. Freedom is I don't care. I will do whatever I want to do. So that's a different thing. That is using your free will without having taqwa, without being conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So somebody who believes in freedom practices their free will without taqwa. The one who is a Muslim is the one who practices his free will with the concept of taqwa. He will make the choice freely in order to please his Lord. So both people, are both people, one who is a Muslim with taqwa and one who believes in freedom without taqwa, both of them are practicing free will. One is practicing freedom, the other is practicing Islam. Our brother Frederick Jonathan has a question. He says, freedom is... Is a useful, uh, sorry, freedom is useful for marketing purposes only, but can't exist in reality. There are only degrees of it. The real question is, who should define the boundaries? Yeah, that, that, and you know, that's the crux of the matter. 
that how everybody has a yearning to do the right thing. So even somebody who doesn't believe in God, even somebody who might be an atheist, they will always say, this is the right thing to do, and this is the wrong thing to do. So we have this inherent concept of doing right and wrong. But what is right and what is wrong, we are unable to define that for ourselves. And because of that, we look to something else to define it. Because you yourself can't define something as right or wrong. So like, shall I eat pig? Shall I eat dog? Or shall I eat lamb? If I cut the meat, by looking at the meat and taking it into a microscope and analyzing it chemically and physically, doesn't tell me if it's halal or haram. Is an external criteria. So Islam tells you whether it's halal or haram. If you don't take that criteria, you still need to adopt another criteria. So you might say, well, I like the taste of it. So that's, my, that's going to be my criteria for determining whether I'm going to eat dog or whether I'm going to eat a pig, whether I'm going to eat a monkey or whether I'm going to eat a sheep. If you follow other people, you follow what they do or you follow what you like to do. So everybody needs a criteria, a furqan. And if you don't take Allah, you will take something else. So something, because it's impossible for a person to determine right and wrong by himself. And if you don't take Allah as, uh, as the basis of your furqan, then, and you feel it, believe in freedom, then you have only got two other things available to you to determine what is right and wrong. And that is, one, if you like it, or two, if it benefits you. So many people will do things which they like to do, and that will determine for them whether it's right or wrong. And some people will do things, even if they don't like it, because it benefits them, and they determine that to be the right thing. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, as I already mentioned in Surah Baqarah, maybe there is a thing that you dislike is good for you, and maybe there is a thing you like which is bad for you. Allah knows you know not. So he's saying that just because you like something doesn't mean right. Just because you hate something doesn't make it wrong. Just because something benefits you doesn't make it right. Just because something harms you doesn't make it wrong. Only Allah knows. So there is no way for the human mind to make a judgment on what is right or wrong. So if we just pondered on that alone, you would come to the conclusion that human beings are in need of guidance. Um, I just wanted to mention uh, a couple of um, uh, things I've come across. Uh, uh, there's a book called The Confessions of an Economic Hitman uh, by a gentleman called John Perkins. Um, now, it's interesting that the Western world portrays the idea of democracy and freedom and exports it to the rest of the world. Uh, indicating that people um, have control of their own destinies in terms of their political system. Uh, but John Perkins um, details in his book uh, how he was hired, and uh, um, not just himself, but there's a whole industry behind this, where they're hired by the American government, the British government, uh, the French, Germans, etc., uh, to actually go into countries and... Uh, tell people uh, who are in positions of power what to do and how they should behave um, to the extent that if they don't listen to them, um, I think it's, it's the words from John Perkins himself, he said that uh, they will um, uh, uh, they will uh, say words for example like to them uh, uh, you know, you have daughters, you have sons uh, you should be careful um, you know, hidden threats and if they still don't listen, uh, then what they do is they send in what they call the jackals which is to actually assassinate people so this is an example of uh, how they, uh, on the uh, international arena, talk about democracy and freedom. 
but in reality they're the ones who actually bully, uh, persecute, assassinate, murder uh, people around the world. And there's another, another account that I came across, uh, uh, quite a senior civil servant, his name was Craig Murray, a uh, British uh, ambassador to Uzbekistan. And uh, he found that the British government were complicit in uh, torture of the Muslim in, in Uzbekistan. And when he tried to uh, account his own government, they turned against him uh, and removed him from his post. So he now uh, uh, goes around the country actually indicating to people uh, how this so-called free and uh, democratic government actually goes around uh, persecuting people around the world under this guise of democracy and freedom. Yeah, very much so. The practice is very different from what they actually preach because you can't live by these principles because they are impractical and they are uh, uh, impossible. There is no such thing as freedom. So, like you say, they determine right and wrong. So, when they go to Uzbekistan and places like that, it doesn't matter if people are getting tortured, doesn't matter if people are getting imprisoned and killed. If it benefits us, it's good. And we turn a blind eye to that. So, even when they do speak up, like at the moment, the Western world is speaking up against the Uyghur Muslims. It's not because they believe in any principles uh, of, of justice. It's not because they believe or feel for the persecution of the Uyghurs. It's only using it as a political tool to beat the Ch Chinese with. So there's persecution of Muslims in Palestine, but the, the West are not interested in that. There's persecution of Muslims in many other places. They're not interested in that. So it's not the persecution. It's not any particular value. It's about material gain of benefit. And... This is the reality of this ideology of freedom, whose, na which, whose name really is capitalism, that go around the world and do as they do in order to gain uh, mat material gain. We've been talking about uh, the idea of these freedoms, and this is something that's been um, exported to the Muslim world as well. Um, but uh, we don't see... Um, any of these uh, uh, so-called um, freedoms or uh, roads paved with gold in the Muslim world at all. Rather, what we see is um, destruction, oppression, uh, criminal uh, uh, individuals and families in positions of power um, and usurping the wealth of the people. Um, so what, what is it that the, the people in the Muslim world should be doing um, with this idea of uh, freedom and democracy? How should they be challenging it? Um, you know, the, 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 the Muslim world, uh, especially in the, 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 the Middle East, uh, they are still feeling the after effects of World War II, uh, rather World War I even, and the Sykes-Picot Agreement, and these false entities that have come about, not just the Zionist occupation of Palestine, but the Syrian state, the Saudi state, the, the, the Iraqi state, the Lebanese state, the Jordanian state, all of these states uh, were created after the dismemberment of the, uh, the, the, the Ottoman Khilafah. And they are artificial, and they have always been artificial, and they have never been fully and truly secure, which is why the, the rulers inherently feel insecure and use such brutality to maintain their authority, because their authority is not legitimate. And they know that. They fully well know that. They have no history, and they have no uh, justification for their, for their position. So... Because of that, they use, use the force. So, and the Muslims are aware of that. The problem is, many have become despondent over this period of time that what else can we do? Um, 
But what they don't realize is that the strength that the rulers have is not actually strength, it's weakness. That the fact that they are brutal is because they don't know any other way in order to maintain their power. They have no legitimacy. And we saw in the in, in, in examples of the Arab Spring, when the people rose up, it actually exposed how little power the regimes actually had. So in Egypt, in Libya, in Tunisia, in these places, it showed that these brutal regimes weren't as strong as people thought. So what the people need to do is they need to start to uh, realize that this nightmare is not going to end by wishing it away. This nightmare of these illegal states and this oppression is not going to go away by wishing it away. You need to take some practical actions. And the Muslim world needs to realize that their salvation is in re-establishing their entity, their politics, their khilafah, and taking the destiny, their destiny into their own hands. And not looking to the West, not looking to the UN, not looking to the EU as some kind of supporters to help them. Because they're the ones that put them in the mess, and they're the ones that are going to keep them in the mess. And if you look towards them, it's just going to perpetuate that. So they need to understand some fundamental truths. That your only helper is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your own people. Not the West, not the kuffar, and not these international bodies. So they need to understand that, number one. And number two, they need to understand that these regimes are not as strong as they claim to be. And number three, they need to understand that the West is not as strong as it thinks it is. Uh, we've seen that with the COVID thing. But also more than that, they only survive because of looting the rest of the world. If you close those doors, if you close those channels where the shipping goes through, if you close the oil wells, if you close uh, 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 the multinational corporations that loot the resources in the Muslim world, you find very soon that it's you who have the upper hand, not them. So we need to reset the compass in our minds that we are not as weak as we think we are. Yeah? And they are not as strong as they think they are. And even if they were strong, and even if we were weak, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is on our side. And if Allah helps you and he has asked you to do something, then definitely you are going to be victorious in the, in the long run. So we need to have that confidence back. Number one, we need to understand these realities as I've just explained, that we are not as weak as we think we are. They are not as strong as they are. And then learn how is it that we can transfer our lands from a land of weakness to a land of unity and strength from a land of occupation and oppression to a land of peace and Islam and security. And this is something Hizb al-Tahrir speaks about. And this is something that Hizb al-Tahrir works for. And they need to understand the Muslim world that, look, this is your destiny and we need to work towards that. Otherwise, this nightmare is not going to go over. Uh, we have a comment from Brother Shohel Nia. Uh, Brother Shoya says, Assalamu In a nutshell, we live in an open prison. Everyone is in the notion that they are free. The language and definition is very important. They are called economic mafia. If they can't get what they want by asking, then they will bribe them. And if that doesn't work, then they corrupt them with their other means. If all this doesn't work, then they will cripple the economy. Yep, uh, I'm not going to disagree with that. If, if anybody's read that book, Economic Hitman, and even if they haven't read the book, Economic Hitman, and you have a cursory look over history, 
you find that this is exactly what the West has done. Whether, where, when they've gone to Indonesia, when they've gone to South America, when they've gone to Africa, they have looted and enslaved these countries by indebting them with huge debts. So they are never able to breathe and look after themselves. Um, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to understand that a lot of the world's natural resources are not in Europe. Yeah, they're in Asia, they're in Africa. I mean, if you look at Africa, Africa is a one big massive continent of mines. They've got gold there, they've got diamonds there, they've got platinum there, they've got copper there. Every kind of metal or uh, uh, resource that can be mined is in Africa, right? If you look at gas and oil, you find that in North Africa, in the Middle East. So the most wanted and the most sought after resources, gold, silver, platinum, copper, uh, uh, um, all these metals and minerals in Asia and in Africa. So just by that, people should ponder why is it that Africa is not the most wealthiest continent in the world with all the resources it's got, yet it is the most indebted and the most impoverished. But Belgium, France, Britain, Scotland, Wales, Denmark, these places are so-called civilized and modern, inverted commas. How is it that they are so wealthy? Where's the gold mines in Belgium? Where's the diamond mines in France? Where's the platinum mines and the copper mines and the oil and the gas in, in London, in, in the UK? They're not there. But a system has been put in place where there is a transfer of wealth from one part of the world to this part of the world. And they have managed to do this through their institutions and through the uh, global economic system, the, the World Bank and what have you, they've put in place in order to maintain the status quo and not to have it disrupted. Um, so yes, that's how capitalism works. That's how it's always worked and that's how it was, always will work. And it, this is the, you know, a, a great deception that they have, they have uh, spun, not just on the, the, the world, but on their own people to think that somehow that everybody else is our enemy. No, your enemy is not the immigrants and the foreigners that come here. Your enemies are the ones that hold the power in your country. They are the ones who are causing your misery and your hardship. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of today's session. Jazakallah uh, khair, brothers and sisters, for your comments and your questions. And Jazakallah uh, khair to Mother for uh, an engaging discussion and uh, giving us an idea of the it's an extremely important concept because it permeates our entire lives, uh, affects our children, affects us, uh, affects the entire world around us. Um, and I think this is something essential that we should be thinking about continuously in terms of counteracting these ideas of, uh, or these false ideas of freedom. Um, and inshallah, as the Brother Muslim mentioned during the talk, uh, there's a conference on 31st of October. Uh, it'll be an online conference uh, entitled Return of the Islamic World Order. Um, and inshallah, if you go to the Friday Circle website, you'll find the link and the information there. And uh, please do register for that uh, conference. Um, tell your family and friends. Um, uh, this can be for everybody. Anybody can come along, inshallah, and uh, have a listen. Um, and uh, once again, jazakallah khair to uh, brothers and sisters for their comments and questions. And jazakallah khair, brother mother. Inshallah, we'll reconvene uh, next Friday.
Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sirah, and much more. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com. 